I told the first service this is a little surreal. It's been 16 years since I've been in a Mannheim pulpit. A long time. And back then, in that day, that was, this was before Pastor Brian's time here, and back then we were in the chapel, the sanctuary. This was before, that was before we ever moved. They moved to the uh, gym, I think, about the year after Terry and I had moved up to Hershey. But Pastor Brian decided that he would throw caution to the wind and uh, ask me to share with you today. And that is throwing caution to the wind because back in the day, Things would happen when I preached. They just did. It was things that never happened to Greg. It, it was just stuff that happened when I was up there. Like, there was one Sunday that um, I was up here, you know, and Tony and Sue Good and the family, and, the, you know, the kids were all little then, and they're, they're sitting over here in their normal seat, and all of a sudden, one of the spotlights in the ceiling just popped. I mean, it popped, and it popped so loud that it woke Tony Good up out of his mid-morning nap. And, and it starts smoking. And I'm looking up there, and I'm thinking, I said to him, do we need to worry about that? And he just, he said, nah, just keep going. <laughs> um, then there was the other time, this, was, this one was self-inflicted. I, I um, thought I would be really smart and and try an object lesson. I was preaching on change. And you know how we tend to sit in the same seats we always sit in every Sunday? Um, you know, I mean, the Martins are down here, and, um, you know, the youth are over here. And <laughs> um, So anyway, so I thought I'd have the object lesson, and I, I thought, we're going to switch sides of the sanctuary. So I did. I had everybody get up, and switch sides, and there was grumbling and complaining, you know, and, and, and all of that. But what I hadn't planned on, and I didn't find out until the next day, was someone leaving the sanctuary prior to us switching sides. <laughs> and there was a gentleman named Owen and his wife. He was in his 80s. He, had li- he and his wife lived at Pleasant View Home, and he had had two strokes. And he walked out to the restroom prior to us switching. He comes back, and his wife is not there. (laughs) He thought he was having another stroke. God bless him. (laughs) But, um, yeah, anyway, let's let's get into the Word. Let's uh, pray before we get started. Father God, I thank you for this time with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for your Word I thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning, and I ask that our time here would be glorifying to you. I ask that we would be here with hearts surrendered to your spirit, that we would get rid of distractions that we may be thinking about, whatever was this past week or the, the week coming up or even today. Lord, I ask that those distractions would be gone and that we would focus fully on you in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had anyone in your life whom you said, I would like to be just like them? These two, the silly one there on the left, these are our grandkids, Uh, two of our grandkids anyway. Uh, That's Titus on the left. He's trying to be like Grandpa. 
and um, the other one there, that's Ben, our, our son, uh, and that's his, his oldest, that's Levi. Ben likes to golf, and Ben and Levi are one and the same person. Uh, if, I don't know if those of you who know our son Ben, um, you know, Ben can be kind of serious, and Levi is just as serious, but he, likes, he wants to be like his dad. How many times have you had people say to you, you're just like so-and-so, or the apple didn't fall far from that tree, or uh, maybe when you were kids, you wanted to imitate your parents, or um, you wanted to imitate some superhero, you know, um, whatever that superhero was. As we continue on in our study this morning, uh, Philippians, we're going to be looking at Philippians three seventeen to 21, and we're going to come across at first appearance uh, what appears to be a rather maybe arrogant statement by Paul, um, but just a heads up, uh, nothing is uh, what it seems, so uh, if you would follow along with me, he says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, I think at first glance, we would look at that and we would think, you know, Paul has all of a sudden done about face. He just gets done telling people, the the Philippians, that he hasn't yet arrived. And now, all of a sudden, he's saying... Join in imitating me. Now, if someone said that to you, wouldn't you, at least at first, think they were a little full of themselves? I mean, I did. When I first read that years ago, I I kind of thought, you know, what's up with Paul here? But if we examine the context of the entire letter, we would find that Paul uh, is simply expressing his confidence in his relationship with Christ. And I'm not going to get into, I don't have time to get into all of the ins and outs of that. But, but what we need to do is look at that and ask the question, what is the example? What is it that Paul, what is it of Paul's life that he is wanting them to imitate? Well, I think it's a number of things that characterize Paul's relationship with Christ. I think it goes back to chapter 1, verse 21, where he tells Paul, uh, the, the Philippians, that for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think it goes back to chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 3, where, where uh, Paul expresses all of his uh, former allegiances, the truths of his past, and, and how those things have changed to an allegiance to a heavenly kingdom where, whose king is Christ. And he's saying, follow my example Christ Jesus has made me his own. And because of that, 
I have been able to let go of earthly values. I've been able to let go of earthly things that have caused me to live a life as an enemy of of the cross. And I have switched my allegiance to Jesus. Over the past few years, the Lord has really been impressing uh, upon me Paul's perspective of, of life. He has this amazing ability to see the eternal. Simply put, Paul did not love this life more than he loved Jesus. And that reality determined his entire life on earth. All of his life concerns, all of his life's uh, decisions, everything was founded on his love for Jesus. You know, he wasn't concerned about who was going to be inaugurated in the next couple of weeks. He wasn't concerned about who lost the election. He wasn't concerned about all of the turmoil and the hate that was directed at him because of his love for Christ. He wasn't concerned about his financial well-being. He was so completely captivated by Christ's love and grace through the cross that nothing of this world mattered to him as much as Christ mattered to him. And he compares his life to those who have not made that change of allegiances. And, and I think this might be one of the uh, sources of the inner conflict within the Philippian church that Paul is seeking to address in this letter. He's, he's intimating here that, that there are people in Philippi, they're probably outside of the church, but they're, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. He uses that language. He uses very strong language in this portion of the letter. And he says they're enemies of the cross of Christ, meaning that they are enemies of the gospel. They probably are having some sort of influence over people that attend or go to this Philippian church and, and those people are bringing that influence back into the church and it's causing some problems. Most likely it was causing people to add things to the cross for salvation. Or it was emphasizing licentious living that takes people away from Christ rather than moving toward Him. And Paul is helping Uh, them to see that these people who have this influence are not citizens of heaven. They are not good people to imitate because they're only concerned about their own well-being. They glory in the things that are going to ultimately bring them shame in the long run and for an entire eternity because they are not glorying in the cross. And he contrasts these people with the Philippians who are followers of Christ. He's saying these people who are enemies of, the, of Christ only have their focus on the here and now, what is tangible, what is instantly gratifying, but followers of Christ, they live a life that is evidence of a greater kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, a kingdom with an eternal hope of life in God's presence after this earthly life. And he shows how very concerned he is about this influence because he says, you know what, I have told you this many times. And he says, now I am even writing this letter, I'm saying this with tears. 
This is a very visceral thing for Paul. He's pleading with them. He's stressing to them how important and significant it is for believers to place themselves under the right influences and the right influencers. See, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all influenced by the people in our lives. And if our allegiance is more to them, or maybe it's more to self than it is to Christ, then we're going to give in to those earthly influences if only for the sake of self-preservation. We'll give in because we want to fit in. Because we, we fear what others think. We'll give in because we have a problem with people-pleasing. We don't want to offend, we don't want to insult, we don't want to be seen as a troublemaker or, or seen as different. We don't, you know, we, we don't want to be hated, we want to be loved, right? Even if it means being loved by people who don't love Christ. And we want to preserve our way of life. And so... If I don't acquiesce to the earthly forces around me, then I could lose my friends. I could lose my business. I could lose my job. I could lose my family's well-being. And what these things truly reveal about us in reality, whether we want to admit it or not, is that our God is not the God of heaven. Our God is the God of the things of this world. Our God is ourself more than it is Christ. Our citizenship is earth. And what is more tangible and pressing in the here and now than what is in heaven? And you know, we try to downplay it. I try to downplay it. Ah, well, you know, we have to live a life. But what we often fail to recognize is that simply by our acquiescence, we start becoming more like the world. And we unknowingly become enemies of the cross of Christ because we begin losing our identities as citizens of Christ's kingdom. And we start gaining identities as citizens of an earthly kingdom. Because after all, isn't that the motivation? The motivating influence for giving in to the world's ideas of life is to be known as a citizen of the world so that we're not identified as citizens of heaven because we don't want to deal with all of the issues that being a citizen of heaven creates. And so Paul is pleading with the Philippians. And he tells them in verse 16 to stand firm. Stay true to what they have seen to what they have in Jesus Christ. He says, "Please be influenced by what you see in me. Please be influenced by what you know of my life, by what you have seen and experienced of my life. How I have sought to live the life of the cross of Christ, that my allegiance is to Christ's kingdom and not this world's kingdom. And so the question has to be asked. Who is it that you listen to? And where is your primary citizenship? Where are the people that you listen to? Where, where is their citizenship? Where, is their, where are their allegiances? I mean, I'm, you know what I'm talking about. People whom you might allow to influence you, even from afar. People on TV. People on news. In the music world. 
politics, maybe personally closer, um, like parents and teachers and friends and relatives and co-workers. And, and let me caution something here. There can be influencers in the church who claim to be citizens of heaven but are really citizens of this world. Just because we know them within the context of the church doesn't mean that they're going to lead you to the cross of Christ. There's the name and claim it gospel. There's the prosperity gospel. There's the gospel of self-fulfillment and self-realization. There's the gospel of, of, the gospel of, psycho, of psychology. Speak for a minute. Anything that takes higher priority than the gospel, than the cross, creates enemies of the cross of Christ. And so it isn't just those evil people out there who can be poor influencers. We have them in the church as well. And I think Paul is addressing that here. I think he's addressing both with this passage and he does it with a passionate pleading because he knows it could mean the difference between life with Christ or life apart from Christ. In other words, it could mean the difference between heaven and hell for someone. So how do we keep ourselves as good citizens of the kingdom? How do we become good influencers for the cross of Christ? How do we imitate Paul? Well, it's all about focus. Where our focus is and where it remains throughout our lives. Verses 20 and 21 show us that Paul has an eternal perspective on life in this world. He has a vision and a focus on the eternal reality of heaven that drives and empowers victorious living in the present. This is where his confidence in his relationship with God comes from. If you look at what Paul was, says in verse 19, that enemies of the cross of Christ have their minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship in, is in heaven. And then he goes on and to give the, the alternative view, explaining the hope of heaven for the believer in verses 20 and 21. Now that term in verse 19 says their minds set. That means focus. Their focus he says, of, of people whose citizenship is on earth, is on things um, that are on earth. Their, their focus is on earthly things, which then means the converse of that is that believers who are citizens of heaven have their focus on the things of heaven, on the things of Christ. In this group I've been studying, uh, I've studied with a group of four men on Monday mornings. We've been in 1 Samuel lately, and I see this even in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 7, 3 through 4 says, uh, Samuel tells the people of Israel, he says, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth. In other words, put away your idols from among you and direct your heart to the Lord. Serve him only and he will deliver you. Isaiah said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Paul told the Roman church, for to set the mind on the flesh is, uh, is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, when our focus shifts from the present to the eternal, 
then we no longer have unnecessary concerns for the things of this life here on earth. We can let go of material things. We can let go of our need for affirmation. We can let go of what people think of us. We can let go of worry, fear, judgment, discontentment. Because the things, the inner things that cause those heart issues no longer have any power over us. We no longer have to be even concerned for our physical well-being because when our focus is eternity, the things of this world fade. They just do. It just happens. When our focus becomes the things of this earth, our focus on eternity fades and vice versa. It's just an automatic thing. Paul's plea here is to direct our minds to the eternal because that will overcome all concerns for this life. And because it overcomes all concerns for this life, it allows us to become more effective for the kingdom of Christ. So how do we stay focused on Christ? Well, the very first thing has to be private prayer. Francis Chan has said, My biggest concern for this generation is your inability to focus, especially in prayer. I would broaden that concern to all generations. It's not just this generation. We all struggle with focus, especially in prayer. But it is impossible for us to stay focused on Christ if our private prayer life is simply holding on by a thread or it's non-existent. And maybe this is true of you, and maybe you're ready for a change. Tim Keller uh, wrote, Those with a genuinely lived relationship with God as Father will inwardly want to pray, and therefore will pray, even though nothing on the outside is pressing them to do so. And that's because the heart of prayer is not getting things from God, but rather getting God. See, prayer is where we respond to God. It's it's in response to His Word to us, and, and we experience what it means to enjoy Him simply as an end in Himself, not just a means to our petitions. In prayer, we enjoy the gift of having God's ear and we discover for ourselves that we are not just servants of God, we are friends. We are not just hearers of His Word, but we are His own children who definitely have His heart. Second thing we need to do is purposeful reading of Scripture. John Piper has written the goal of Bible reading. I love this. The goal of Bible reading elevates the worth and beauty of God, the glory of God to the highest place possible. The ultimate aim of all Bible reading is that God's infinite worth and beauty would be exalted in everlasting white-hot worship. There is nothing higher in the universe There is nothing more valuable, there is nothing more beautiful than the worth and the beauty of Almighty God. The infinite worth and beauty of God are the ultimate value and the excellence of the universe. 
And that's so obvious, and yet how very few people act as if that were true. The Bible is indispensable to the Christian life. Without the written word, we simply cannot know the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And we cannot focus on him. And that's why I so appreciated Pastor Brian's Advent series on praying praying scripture because it combines both. It combines both private prayer and, and purposeful scripture reading so that we can take in the beauty and the glory of God. Now, part of what happens in private closet prayer and scripture reading is, is the ability to come to a deeper understanding of ourselves because we come to a deeper understanding of God. And a benefit of that deeper understanding is the ability to discern. We need to be self-aware and we need to be honest about the answers to some questions. So, so let's just examine our downtime for a second. Is my idle time spent in pursuits that keep me focused on this earth or on Christ and the cross? How is my use of these things influencing me for Christ? How are they strengthening or weakening my relationship with Jesus? And what do I need to do if the answers are negative? We need to be self-aware about our own lives. Am I living a life that can and should be imitated by others? Is how I'm living my life something my children, my grandchildren, my nieces, my nephews, my friends should be imitating? We have to ask ourselves some very important questions about our relationships. Who is it that I'm currently giving my time to? Who am I hanging out with? And how are they impacting my life? And by impacting my life, how are they impacting my family? Are these people strengthening or weakening my relationship with Jesus? Are they helping or hurting my witness for Christ? And if they aren't believers, I'm not saying we need to totally segregate ourselves from from the world. If, If they are not believers, then we need to ask the question, am I having a greater influence on them for Christ than they have on me for the world? Well, as we seek to discern, and we're seeking someone to emulate and to imitate, What should we be looking for? How can we discern a good example from a poor one? Well, the very first thing is their life patterns. Paul mentions those who walk according to the example you have in us. The way a person walks in in Scripture is, is, is about the way they approach their everyday life. The pattern of conduct reveals the habits of the heart. It reveals their core, con- their core commitments and their deep desires. And so as we observe their lives, we will know the focus of their heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And so do their life patterns confirm or contradict their confession of Christ and his cross in practical ways? What do I need to do 
if the answers to these questions aren't helpful to my relationship with Jesus. And friends, what we need to realize here is that this is a family project. Not just your immediate family. This is a community-level project. This is a church thing. Paul shows us that the imitation of Christ is not an individual quest, but it's done together as a family of believers. And so when you find people to emulate, I would encourage you to get around them. Find ways to get close to them if you aren't already and ask the Lord for boldness to follow their lead. Because the focus is the cross. Setting our minds on things above as opposed to things here on earth. And friends, when we are able to do that, it changes our lives. I am a living testament to that. What makes our citizenship in heaven, friends, a source of boundless joy is the presence of a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the risen and living one who makes people like us into citizens of heaven. And it's not just for our life after this physical, uh, uh, physical life here on earth. It's for the here and now as well. Are you needing victory over sin? I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction with God. Are you needing victory over fear, over worry, over discontentment, over unforgiveness, over jealousy, over anger? Do you need confidence in your relationship with God? Set your mind on Christ and the cross, on the God of your salvation, on his glory, his majesty, his beauty, and his holiness, and you will find a transformation of epic proportions that will empower you to hold true to what you have received in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power that you gave Paul to write these things. I thank you for the example we have in Paul. And Lord, while we don't necessarily, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say, I want to be like Paul. Father, may we follow his example. May we have a life focused on you and only you the cross, and nothing else so that we can live a life that brings glory to you through the Son. In Jesus' name, amen.